Hey gang, welcome to episode 203 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio in Los Angeles, aka The Kitchen Table. This week on the show, we've got an Overlook Film Festival double feature. Uh, we've, we've finally gotten into that point in our process, our, our, our broken, broken process, where we're getting all the stuff that we collected out. Uh, and we've uh, hit with my notes on Overlook and some of the videos that Kara's been making. And right now, what you're going to get is a double feature of podcast interviews. First up is going to be Ava Lee Scott, who is the creator of Home of Enchantments, and she's going to get followed up by Andrew Preble of Delaporte Ventures, uh, the folks behind Escape My Room, uh, who contributed Saintsbone to this year's Overlook, and uh, that will also be part of uh, what the Room Escape Artist team is uh, showing their folks uh, on their New Orleans trip this year. Um, I'll probably talk a little bit about... Um, oh, wait, I think I did that already. <laughs> I was going to be like, I'll talk a little bit about like, where I was in New Orleans. And I was like, you know what? I think I did that like two episodes ago, so maybe I won't do that. I am still going to be writing that up. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll do that um, in, in some other form. I'm lost. I'm lost these days. Um, uh, I'm sort of been uh, in a, in a headspace and I'm, and I'm coming back out of it. Uh, more on that when we get done with the interviews. Uh, here's some stuff to check out though. Uh, the site is really alive right now. Uh, like I mentioned, we've got uh, a piece up called Overlook 2019, Exploring the Immersive Track, which are my notes on uh, Overlook. Uh, we also have a film, an Overlook Film Festival hub where the creator video series is also being uh, put up. Uh, and indeed, our uh, video interviews with Andrew and Ava are up. They are shorter than the podcast. So if you want to just get like a quick hit, you can go there. We've also got reviews from around the country right now. Uh, we've got a review of The Last Defender in Denver. We've got, um, whoa, where's the other reviews? We've got, uh, uh, Upended Productions Alice in Chicago, uh, up in Portland, we've got Lloyd Gardens. So just really from like all over the place. Uh, and of course, LA and New York and more coming soon. And yeah, we've been busy, busy bees. If you got the North American newsletter this week, you saw just how busy this week's been for us. And we're excited to keep that going. There's some new horizons uh, on the uh, horizon and expect even more, uh, particularly as we come into a new phase. All right, let's check in real quick on the Patreon. Uh, we're holding steady at 240 people. Uh, and uh, indeed, someone had to cycle off, but someone's hopped back on. Uh, we got to hop on Cindy Marie Jenkins, our friend who just moved to Beijing. So look, if Cindy's out in Beijing, <laughs> she can't go to any of this stuff. You can cough up a dollar. So just patreon.com slash no proscenium. It's definitely where you go to uh, help this venture go forward. Also, um, something I want to point out here. I do do 
<laughs> consulting. So if, uh, if that's something you're interested in, you want to contact me directly. Uh, there are some rules around the consulting around, you know, what that means in terms of you know, whether or not no pro can cover and how we would cover and who would cover clearly not me. Uh, but that is something, uh, that can keep moving this stuff forward. And so honestly, you know, if you, you want to pick my brain for professional reasons, um, that can be arranged, it can be arranged. But if you just want to help this continue, uh, because you believe it should exist and uh, you don't want me having to run around and do other stuff and you want us to be able to pay the folks who do this one day, patreon.com slash no percentium is a great way to go. Um, and you know, we're about to hit 6,000 people on Everything Immersive, which is our Facebook group. Uh, and uh, I was just poking around last night and indeed EI is now bigger than the Punch Drunk Lovers group, which was like, used to be like the biggest immersive theater and immersive stuff group that I could find. And now I think EIs is it. Um, there's a thread going on, everything immersive right now. And you can also find one in our Slack and our Slack's got about 1200 people in it. So it's the Slack's no slouch. Um, you can find threads in both places, uh, around the, uh, Harry Potter, uh, wizards unite game where people are putting up their, uh, their friend codes. So I <laughs> said that with disdain. They're friend codes. The codes by which you can become friends with people. Hey, I put mine up as well. I also put a fake one up last night for a hot minute. Uh, and a couple of people got the joke and I was happy about that. Did that on my own page though. Okay. Do, uh, do. What is there? Nothing else. There's going to be music in between things and you'll hear my voice um, throughout this thing, but you'll, you'll hear me come back on to introduce Andrew. Let's start off with uh, Ava Lee Scott. What do you need to know about Ava? Um, Ava performed at the Mechatrick for years, uh, had uh, a character there, uh, this fortune telling character uh, became part of what she did. Um, there is a presence to this performer that is I mean, otherworldly just begins to cover it, particularly when she's on. Um, Home of Enchantments was uh, the the piece she did at Overlook was just one of those pieces where you come out going holy, and uh, you know you would you would not be wrong uh, to not want to start questioning your reality uh, based on what you've experienced in there. And, uh, what's exciting about this is like, she's got some big long-term plans about how to, uh, you know, where this story she's, she's developing is going, but there's also, there's a lot of heart in here. And, uh, this is a piece that's about something. Um, this is a piece is about the concept and I'm about to swear. So I guess I'll put the explicit, uh, the core theme she has is, uh, you know, uh, fucked up people are magical too. That's sort of the core theme here. And this idea about finding magic and beauty in, um, in, in unexpected places. And that is, that is the seed that is down deep in Home of Enchantments. So uh, let's jump into the interview right now. This is always just a conversation. And like the funny thing is like, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure like where to start, but like this. So I wonder if you could like kind of describe for folks who aren't here at Overlook uh, and who haven't seen, you know, what you've been doing this weekend. Um, you, what 
what this is and kind of what this is a, a, a piece of, because this is a piece of a larger work that you that you have in development. Yes. Um, so Home of Enchantment is a supernatural horror scripted series. Uh, it's actually an episodic for TV, and um, it is a home that is on a portal between the supernatural and the material realm. And in this home, uh, there are residents that I'm attracted to, I created as superheroes. And um, the top of the series, or the opening, uh, which is called The Fool's Journey, and that's the pilot. It is about this uh, character, Belle, that returns home after abandoning her family for 15 years and um, on the eve of her mother's death. And she, um, you know, the, the tagline is, you know, fucked up people are magical too. Because the idea is that, for me, beautiful people are the people we don't talk about. And I'm so attracted to, for me, they're the superheroes, you know, the recovering addicts that don't pick up, the single mothers with five jobs, um, the dads, you know, that are like doing everything to keep the family together. Um, the men and women in their 40s and 50s and 60s that have surrendered and given up and become um, martyrs um, in so they couldn't live out their dream and then uh, compromise who they are and then find themselves again and fight. So I'm really attractive to tell their stories Interestingly enough, I, that got me more excited than even talking about the protagonist. The protagonist is someone who was born in this home called Home of Enchantments, and her mother, um, Legia, has all these supernatural gifts, and they are from the lineage of the Sethians. And the Sethians is like a lost tribe of like um, alchemists and healers, and most of them were persecuted throughout history. So a lot of what I create with the creations in the past, like Serenade, um, which is all based on ancient history, and that was an immersive musical, and even the work and uh, the character that I created in Sleep No More is all based on facts. And I don't know how to create if it is not based on facts. When you walk away from the experience, I almost want you to explore what I just told you almost like I dare you because I just spent years exploring it from an herb to um, a sigil to a word and so the awakening um, and I'll get to that but the, the the reason I'm saying that is in the past I don't know decade the characters that I've created um, in shows I've created but also in, as characters within the shows of others are magical characters and they're the ones that an immersive is great because it allows uh, these characters to be somewhat of a healer even the ones like Lilith in Serenade right Lilith is for me the first <laughs> woman that's ever been created and because of her strength and because of her will unwillingness to fold uh, she was cast out so in Serenade, when she comes back into a medium's body, she's the only one that lost her voice. It's a musical. There were 20 characters, 13, and then uh, classic, and it's an opera. But what was interesting for me about Lilith 
and this is Serenade, and I'll get back to Home of Enchantments, but I'm bringing it up because of the character, is this is, I see some, I, for me, Lilith was this being, this, this, this woman who, because of her unwillingness to break and fold or walk small for others, she was cast out. And in her casting out, in her darkness, she lost her voice. And within that loss, she comes back even stronger. And the last thing she says on, the, on her way out of this um, Elysian, Elysian fields, where Serenade opens the portal to, is she says, if I don't walk in darkness, who is gonna save the broken ones? Who is going to pick up the drunks? Who is going to pick up the damaged ones? Who will be there to tell their stories? And so thematically that links back to the work you're doing here. So you've talked about this as being part of a a scripted series, but just so people know, like you're, you, this is almost like a, like immersive prologue to this, this work that you're, that you're developing for, for television. Yeah. Thank you. Um, for bringing me back to <laughs> um, so uh, the why I'm so excited about Home of Enchantments and is you know and I mentioned this with colleagues that do the work we do and it always rubbed me the wrong way when people use immersive creations performances and shows as marketing tools for a larger idea here's a series I mean I performed in a couple of them, right? There's a premiere for a film, there's a premiere for a series, and then they say, hey, let's get this immersive thing going on, an installation for a week, and then it's gone. And there's a beauty in that, but also there's a district, I feel like, wait a second, these immersive creations and immersive actors and immersive performers deserve the time and the attention that a six month run of, or a a series on network deserves. It's not a marketing tool, it is an art form. And we know that to be an immersive performer, it is a completely different art form than on stage or on film, on any capacity. And that deserves its attention way beyond. And I'm not saying it's like this in everywhere, you know, grateful that Sleep No More is running. For, for as long as it, as it has, so you know we know it works. So what I wanna do, and this is a thrill for me, is what you witnessed this weekend was a teaser where on a w- one-on-one you get to see the character at a crossroad and you get to help her decide, does she go back home to the home of enchantments or does she continue on her path? And when you meet Belle, she's a wreck. And what makes her a wreck is she's been self-medicating because she sees visions and she hears things. So she's mixing pills and alcohol to zone all the supernatural gifts, but it takes a toll on her. And the toll is um, not necessarily through addiction, but the way of life. You can't run away from who you are. And so she's forced to come back home. And when we meet her here at Overlook Film Festival, you get a chance to see her right before the series starts. You get a chance to say, wow, I, I took part in making that decision for her to go back home. Because that for me was really important that you get a one-on-one intimate experience with not only, oh, I just met the character of the this, of this series. It was like, no, I was a part 
in in helping her and i and i could see how damaged this woman how far gone she's gone because all the characters are really damaged and what makes them magical is not necessarily the powers of the home but is the powers within themselves the light and the gifts that they have within themselves that the house awakens and i think that's uh leaving the series aside for this experience um it was really important to for me uh, on a general note, that people um, don't overlook, no pun intended, <laughs> um, people that are uh, asking for help and the people that are damaged um, for what society believes that is and what truthfully is, whether it's emotionally, mentally, or physically. And when I said that line, fucked up people are magical too, that's what the series is it's like you know you don't throw these people away you don't know the gifts they have so um in the work I do as as, as an actor as a performer is um I love how immersive theater and immersive creations are very cinematic what you experienced from the very beginning from me sending you that text my character Belle sending you that text that was an engagement and giving you narrative until the moment where you're in the room, that's, that's a script, right? A script as if it was, we could have shot that on film. And you were that character, you were the exorcist. <laughs> you were that person, the savior, you became the hero for a broken hero. So um, to give you, and that's why I brought up the other shows I've created, because I have never created a character like Belle where all the characters are so damaged that you become the healer, the participant, the guest. They are asked to step, to lift me up. When I ask them to take my shoes off, when I ask them to, every single detail is, there's a reason. Every single point of, um, and you can share some of what you experienced if you want. Yeah, I mean, well, I wanna, I'll I'll probably do that in in the framing piece. as we kind of go through all these different overlook interviews. Um, what I wanted to ask you now though, is, um, there's two things I'm, I'm really kind of curious about. Um, you have a lot of experience, uh, performing immersive, um, you know, often for like a lot of people, you know, you veteran at sleep no more. You've done, you've done all sorts of other shows, you know, uh, Tennessee on the HUD, Tennessee on the Hudson and everything else. Um, what, this piece like is very emotionally intense you you have to go to some some pretty um energy consumptive i would say spaces i can see in your face right now you're like you know, you're smiling because you know like how much it is and and you're cranking through like over and over and over again for about you know 6 hours a night um where are you finding the stamina like what's what's your process in here to like get you through uh you know being the subject of an exorcism like what, 20 times or 10, 15 times? Well, um, thank you for for asking that. And actually, I, I appreciate that you can see that and the work that actually takes behind the curtains. And um, the work is not like putting tools together. The tool is my body and my soul. And um, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is... Uh, Every time, um, 
sometimes it's like seven hours, eight hours straight, one after the other, and it's like good 25, 30 minutes, one-on-ones. Um, and because the character is an emotional wreck and not at like uh, on the surface, but deeply, deeply wounded, I have to go there at the top. And the reason is it's like, because then you see that change when you see all the other things come out of me. So I perform three characters within those 20 minutes, which is the two entities that come out of me and then the broken character. And, um, and, and they're very high and en- they're very, oh, yeah. they're very, very, very high energy. Like even, even though like Bell's like, you know, a, a low energy person, that's a high energy thing to do is like, you know, you got to tie an anchor to you and then, push against it well yeah she's devastated she's broken she's emotionally wounded and um, I come from the school of if I want a guest or you to experience something then I have to experience something I don't know what you call it you know my background is Meisner I've studied method but I'm more like method and I have to put myself in every with every guest that for nine hours I have to go there and put myself in that broken state in order for you to actually see it and experience it and then I have to come back to the when you tie me to the chair then I have to immediately come back and there's some moments and I have to say this Noah everyone had a different show not everyone had that dance and not everyone had the chance to take the shoes off or to see other things Um, and I and that is not because it's it, it's partly intentional, but I'm also, because I have this wonderful opportunity, this show is not about me or even the character. It's about the guest. So I have to be sensitive to change the narrative. After I see the guest at the first meeting outside in the lobby, I, I can suss them out and I can see what they're able to take. And this is something I was going to ask you. This is, this, I'm glad we're here. Is like, you're, this is a, a balance point of like you've got the performance to do, but you've also got the guest to manage and where they can go. And like how how are you sort of charting their progress through and, and making those adjustments? And are you are, is, are there particular moments where you're like, oh, OK, they're with me or because like the one thing that seems to be consistent, I've talked to people outside is like everyone comes out going, whoa. Um, so like, do you, do you get to see that? Do you get to absorb that? Whoa. Is, is that, I never see what they leave with and, um, that's okay. Um, and that's a great question Noah, about, because what you just asked for me is the core and the heart of immersive work as a performer. It is never about the performer. It is never about the script. We all know the script. We all know the story. We know the narrative, but that gets tossed out the window. As soon as I see the person, it's about them. If you make it about you, you're, you're just like, you might as well give them a book. You have to, you are there to be of service for that guest or guests. It has to be about them. Immersive is beautiful because you're touching people. And how do you touch them? Meaning um, figuratively, right? Open their hearts. How do you do that? You do that when you look at them. And if you're not listening, looking, feeling, hearing their breath, feeling how when you touch their hands and they either grab you or pull away, 
that's an indication for the next scene. And um, so the narrative is never lost. I know who I am, I know what the goal is, we know the beats. And every single one I did, I think I did over 40 already, right? All the beats and the narrative is there. I did, I'll, uh, I'll say something for, to, 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 to get to the point that I'm making, is when I first got here and I knew, I knew that the intensity, the emotional wreckage I'd have to put myself in every moment at the top and I have to re-engage it 10, 10, 12 times a night and then I have to get to this insane place and then get possessed and it's over and over again. So I knew the physical and emotional, even my voice I was concerned of losing. Um, then I looked at the list of all the people that have reserved, right? The guests. And there was a moment where I was like, oh my God, will my voice sustain this? Because I lose a bit, you know, I, yeah. and then I, I thought, wait a second, this is not about me. If I look at each person and say, wait, I am here to give them a message. And I am here to provide something that they need. And all of a sudden, that change of perspective made me want to go 100 people. Because it wasn't about me and my exhaust or my physicality. I was able to uh, uh, touch something uh, supernatural, uh, spiritual, or like even like I was able to, I was able to run all night because every night before I walked out for the next guest to start the next show, I thought, that's someone that needs this. And so because they were more important than me, I made the guests more important than me, I was able to go and go and go and go. And that is the way that I, I find it. The other part of it is the technicality as an actor, your voice, your body, and also I have to get to a state of wreck in about sometimes one or two minutes for the next guest and then get back and it's like one after the other. So, you know, I'm grateful that I'm able to go there in an instance. But I want to just like, there are, there are several beats in this, in Home of Enchantments at Overlook, in the one-on-one -on -one with Belle, that are, are incredibly different. There's vulnerability. There's uh, intimacy. There, I created the world where you saw the character completely vulnerable when she almost falls, when she removes her dress, um, you know, in a way that is um, uh, so uh, giving and, sh and sharing and, uh, 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 you know, all these uh, beats, uh, which on a, on a side note, I didn't hope where we're sitting, uh, is the set and there's two floors and I created a whole experience upstairs. So for the folks that came the first day, they had that, but I had to cut it cause it was going over, over time, um, which is fine. It didn't lose the magic. You saw everything. So I guess the point is, um, what I found most, uh, interesting and attractive in this experience, which is completely, uh, physically and emotionally and mentally exhausting. Um, is when you make it about the other person and you're really listening to them within your character, within the narrative, you, you know, it is no longer about you. So the design of this experience, they think they're running the show, right? Because they show up as the savior, but every single thing was designed where 
they are asked to rise and be who they who I need them to be to save my life and when they rise to 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 their light um you know with the people that I've already the guests that have come through uh post I had conversations with Amber one of our producers and she was I said you know it was so beautiful the things that people shared with me in this room the things that came out of their mouth to give me hope they were fighting for my life they were fighting that I would survive they said you know I said thank you for being my angel I said thank you for being a hero I said don't forget who you are and they would turn around or they would say you don't forget who you are you know your magic there are things in you and they're talking to a character that was broken but to be able to create a deep a deep um, vulnerable state where some stranger has to be so engaged and care about you to the point that they throw themselves in the fire to look at a demon or whatever that entity was it was really a beautiful experience to see how human beings and you see the good in people in immersive you know when you make it about them you give them a chance to be that hero and that's what it's about you give them a chance to be that lover to be that um you know supernatural superhero where they don't get to be outside but they get to be in here with the work we create Next up is going to be Andrew Preble of Delaport Ventures, the creators of Escape My Room and Escape Extinction and Saints Bone. Uh, we did this interview up in Andrew's office um, above Escape My Room there in uh, downtown New Orleans. Um, and I didn't get to play uh, any of the rooms they had, but just walking around the hallways, just the the, the lobby, people always talk about the lobby, the lobby, the lobby. No, seriously, the lobby on this thing. Um, just an absolutely amazing testament to what uh, escape rooms should be, right? How many times, friends, how many times have you walked into a place in a strip mall that feels like, um, I don't know, uh you know, a halfway built out uh, insurance agent's spot or, you know, the, the front desk of a dispensary uh, and then been led through some, you know, office type hallways uh, to a plain door where you then go into a, you know, moderate to heavily themed environment. If you're an escape room aficionado, probably a lot. A lot. One knows that one doesn't really get to monetize all of those feet between the front door and the escape room door. But I will say, without a doubt, this thing is a destination. If everyone in pretty much the escape room world knows Escape My Room, from what I can tell, uh, the way they talk about it, the way it's been talked about. If you are an immersive fan and you're going through New Orleans and, uh, you know, it isn't necessarily like, you know, escape rooms aren't your thing, just go do one because you want to get into that space. You want to. And honestly, 
it's the gold standard and it makes you wish we were operating on the gold standard. I mean, not literally like the actual monetary, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, I'm just going to put all my money in Libra. Uh, kidding. <laughs> like we're going to have a choice. All right. On that note, um, here we go. Here's the interview with Andrew Pebble of Teleport Ventures. So, Andrew, thank you for walking me around both uh, through Escape My Room and then kind of backstage here at Escape My Room. Uh, or I guess it's it's Delacorte? Delaport. 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 Delaport Ventures. Um, when I'm going without notes in front of me, I always butcher things. Um, tell me, like, this is a, this is a pretty big operation. Like, uh, I'm just wondering, how many people work here with you? Um, so, that can be hard to answer depending on the day or depending on how you count people, but I would say we have um, the main team um, of like full-time salaried people is about five of us, I think, total. And then we have, I would say, another eight to ten part-time um, employees or, or full to part-time employees that work as attendants at Escape My Room. And then we'll have a similar number at Escape Extinction, um, which is opening next week. And then Saints Bone had a cast of five, I think. So that's another five there. So Escape Room and Escape Extinction, they're both permanent installation, Escape Room adventures. Um, and I want to talk about all of them. And then Saints Bone, which is in Overlook right now, that's a pop-up you're doing for the festival and it might kind of continue along. Maybe take us back to the beginning uh, because I, we were doing a video earlier and you mentioned that you, know, you sort of started Escape My Room almost before there were a lot of escape rooms out there. And this is, I mean, just walking through, like the production value is absolutely off the chain. So like, what, what drove you to make this in the first place? Yeah, so I... I think I first heard about escape rooms of, it was spring of 2014, I believe. And someone had posted a, a link on Facebook to one that had just opened somewhere in the middle of the country. I forget exactly where, maybe St. Louis or Oklahoma city. And I, I remember looking at it and clicking through and thinking like, Oh, this is interesting. Um, but I didn't really understand what it was. And um, even with my background as doing puzzle hunts and doing some large-scale events and other um, um, mystery um, physical artwork, um, didn't really understand what an escape room was. And it wasn't until a few months later when the New York Times came out with a, a piece on the art behind escape rooms, and that was the summer of 2014. And I read that piece, and it um, compared escape rooms to their digital video game counterparts, which I had played some of and were familiar with. And that's when I really understood what they were and how exciting they were and how cool that they could be. Um, I hadn't played any at that point except for online. And I was just, um, I was just really excited about what, yeah, what we could do with that idea. Because there's that little phase there for a while, like after the scrap games and a few of the I think the basement might have been running in LA by then, but there was a lot of like video game, even like iOS games that were like escape puzzle games. Yeah, sure. And I can't remember if the room on iOS had come out by that point or not, but that was certainly um, 
think it might have or or was very soon and I had certainly played that game and was really um thought that was super fascinating even before escape rooms I was inspired by um some of the uh, large-scale puzzle hunts in New York there's one I think it's called um Midnight Madness and it's a it's a Goldman Sachs sponsored one for a like a charity event um, where they have a huge budget in the millions of dollars to put on this one night thing. And, and that was super, um, sounded super amazing. There was another one um, or another article um, about this apartment in New York called the mystery on fifth Avenue. And it was an architect who uh, designed an apartment for a client, but did not tell them that he had hidden this mystery and this story in the apartment that he had renovated. Um, and that also was incredibly inspiring. And even before escape rooms, I wanted to open a hotel or, or bed and breakfast that had some of those same ideas into it. Um, it's basically an escape room as we know them today, but this was, I think in 2008, the article came out and was inspired by it, but didn't also see a commercial, uh, a good way to turn that into something commercially successful until escape rooms came out. So, all of this is boiling in your head. You're, you're into the puzzle scene. You're doing puzzles. You've got these escape rooms kind of floating out there in other spaces. So what, what becomes the moment that galvanizes it and leads you to opening up the first room that you did? Sure. And that was certainly the, the, um, the Times article that connected escape rooms and art together. And that was, I think it was also, I was, I was kind of in between work, just had... Um, finished my um, undergraduate degree, which took me about 10 or I don't know how many years to actually finish. Um, but I just wrapped up that and was thinking like, what am I going to do now and what kind of interesting things? And so it was, yeah, escape rooms was just um, sounded so cool, sounded um, like it could be commercially successful and that it could, um, you know, develop into something really exciting. So you opened, so the first one you opened up was that? Um, so the first room we opened at Escape My Room was the Mardi Gras study, and that took us almost a year from, from when I first started working on it. And it took so long for a bunch of different reasons, as anyone who's um, tried to launch something will, will know, but just from negotiating the lease to, um, to catching mono the day after I signed the lease and being in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and then... Um, that certainly put a, um, a hold on things, but that also mono in high school, not when you're like starting an entrepreneurial business. I know. And I feel like I had caught it before. So it was a weird, but, but obviously not, or maybe I caught a mild one and then this was like the real, the real thing. And, um, but it was interesting because, um, we had, there'd, there'd been a whole bunch of work up until then about finding a location and signing a lease and hadn't thought too much about what comes after that. And so, what was, um, I mean, it's never nice to be sick, but what's, what was nice is that because I was confined to a bed um, was that I couldn't do anything except for like write or think about what we would create. And so um, went through a ton of different like iterations and like, like thinking about how we were going to structure it and kind of the stories that we wanted to tell. And that's um, the Delaporte family came out of that and wanting to tell these, um, these kooky family stories um, inspired by New Orleans and inspired by real families and real events in New Orleans. 
um, through the escape room. And so we initially, and still kind of are somewhat of a, mu of a historical museum that happens to, to tell stories and teach people through escape rooms. Um, and part of that is for tax reasons and zoning reasons, but it's also, um, I think, a true, I don't know, that's just like, we, we want everyone to learn something too when they play an escape room, whether, whether or not that's just like a little nugget that they, they take home and are like, oh, this, I, I heard about this old parade, this carnival crew that's not really running anymore. I wonder why that is. Or like, um, you know, did this person actually exist? And, and let me find out more about that. Or there was a hurricane that, that came through, you know, and, and yellow fever and all of these different things. So, um, even though in the escape room itself, you're not necessarily um, thinking about that. Um, when you go home, hopefully, if you're still curious, you'll you'll do some more research and, and learn more about the history of the city. So which came, I guess which came first, the, the family or the idea for the, the first room? Because there's such a there's such a mythology you've, you've built up here between all the different, the different dimensions you've got. Yeah, the family certainly came first. And the, the idea of, uh, of a backstory um, surrounding all of the rooms came before any room um, ideas. And I think that was, um, I don't know, necessary for me, too, as a as a writer and, and as a creator to know some constraints and have some constraints. I find it um, really difficult without any constraints. And so um, having the um, kind of writing about this family and creating this family and this backstory then helps set the scene for our first room and our, our subsequent rooms, but um, also then kind of informed, yeah, more of, of this room. And so I think like, the, the backstory certainly came first and then um, and the world around that came first and then the, the actual rooms. You sit on this venture and who do you turn to, to, to bring in to bring the first room to life? Um, so it was, it was somewhat daunting. Um, again, once, once we signed the lease and got sick and then um, writing the story, um, luckily, I I grew up about 45 minutes away from here, and so have a, a good bit of local connections. Um, my girlfriend at the time, too, Michelle Calabro, um, was really a, into experience design and and um, was working at an ad agency here where they did kind of more commercial experience design, and so she was super helpful on that first room and and helping like bounce ideas off of. My dad too um, has a is an artist and has a kooky um, kind of roadside attraction that he built um, not or didn't open until I was in high school. And so he's been kind of this sculpture and installation artist and he helped as well kind of like construct the first room and um, kind of tell me what things mattered and didn't matter, you know, and, and specific paint color does not matter. Um, you know, it matters that you put it up on the wall. And so that was really helpful in the beginning of like just getting it open, getting getting everything like together, even if it's somewhat in a rough form, and um, and also um, taught us the more things you put on the wall, the less likely anybody is going to spend looking at one individual thing. Um, and 
and that was our kind of our aesthetic anyway of this crazy family that collected a lot of artwork. So um, that certainly helped. And um, he's a um, certainly a confirmed hoarder, and so um, and and liked that then this gave him an excuse to hoard even more stuff because he could bring me van loads and van loads of um, crazy picture frame artwork that he would pick up or people would give him. And, um, and at some point, people started donating stuff to us and, and helping out. And our, our first room was fairly low technology. I think we had one or two maglocks in there um, that were just kind of off-the-shelf RFID reader things. and. Um, and the rest were very physical um, puzzles and, and, and physical manipulations. Um, and so that made it easy to, um, to launch. And our, our setting um, our, in this house was somewhat on purpose in the sense that we could build something for a pretty low budget and have it still feel like a real house um, because... Um, that's easier to do than say build a, um, an Egyptian tomb or, or whatever. So, um, so yeah. What was the reaction to the first room? I mean, obviously good because now you have a whole bunch of rooms, but was it kind of a, an explosion from the start? Did it ramp up? You know, how quickly did, uh, New Orleans like, um, take to what you were doing? And yeah, we'll, we'll start with there and have some follow-ups. Sure. So um, when we opened to it was um, it was the summer of 2015, and actually a few months before, another um, company, Clue Carré, had opened in New Orleans, and which was great because they had then started to educate people about what escape rooms are. Um, and then when we opened as well, I think it was it was. And it still is an exciting story for press, but back then it was even more exciting and like, you know, you're locked in a room and, and even if they only focus on that one little piece, um, it makes a good headline um, for entertainment. So we were very lucky, had a lot of really good press um, when we opened and then um, had a huge um, lot of locals come out and even um, people from two or three hours away because we were kind of... Um, us and Clue Carre and um, in New Orleans were kind of the only escape room for like a you know four four hour drive around New Orleans, so had a big draw there. And then in terms of like um, critical reaction too, I think we we didn't really you know it's hard to measure what you yourself creates um, if it's good or not. Um, and then. But pretty soon we had some um, escape room enthusiasts come through. We're lucky in that New Orleans is a is a tourism market, and a lot of people like to come here, um, regardless of how good our escape rooms are. So um, we started to have some people come through and and start talking about us and start saying that like they really enjoyed what we had created, and and that was really exciting to see. So um, some of the early escape room bloggers, I think um, Christine. Um, Barger came yeah. through um, pretty early on and, and talked about it in, she's from Los Angeles, I think, so talked about it to her crew there. And then um, Amanda Harris also came through very early and um, she um, was from the East Coast, so started talking about it to her East Coast friends. So it did start to um, kind of attract people who liked escape rooms um, pretty early on, which was very um, rewarding and, and nice to see. 
you open the first room, you get the enthusiasts pressed into you, you get the tourists coming through, and now it's expansion time. And like you have you have a lot of rooms. Like how how often are you opening new work? So um, we, I mean, part of expansion too is um, is somewhat necessary or un, you know, fortunately or 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 unfortunately. Um, I'm somewhat lazy, and so I don't. Um, I don't like to run the day to day, and I don't. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me to to work on a schedule. And so, from the very beginning, we, I didn't hire anybody, but but after the first day, realized that we needed a lot of people to work here, um, and so uh, we started hiring pretty quick. Um, we also realized with one room that um, it didn't make too much sense. We we really needed two or more rooms to to kind of make the case um, for us to, to be around more long-term. We ended up moving locations um, after the first six months because we didn't have enough room um, in, our, in our existing location and they didn't want to give us more space. So we ended up in a space um, that had closer to four or 5,000 square feet and, um, and built out. Um, now we have five rooms here total. The, um, the most recent one opened here to escape my room. It was Smuggler's Den, and that opened about a year ago now. Um, Inventor's Attic opened six months before that. And um, then once we were built out here, too, um, we, uh, we started looking at other, other ideas and other, um, other ways that we could grow, and I think we didn't necessarily want to take Escape My Room to another city because we felt that it was so, um, the stories were so New Orleans and so local, and not that we couldn't go to a different city and tell local stories in that, that city, um, but um, we were given the opportunity to create an escape room at an aquarium here, the Audubon Aquarium of the Americas, and, um, and that also sounded really exciting, and so, for the last two and a half years now, we've been working on that project, and it um, is finally opening limited, um, limitedly next week, and then I think the official opening may be the middle of June. But, um, but yeah, so so that's kind of thing we did, and then because we started doing some work for them, or because we designed this escape room for them, and they were super excited by, about it. They hired us to design a um, their new lions exhibit at the zoo, which just opened um, in early May, and then they also hired us to design a new shark exhibit within the aquarium itself, which I think is opening in August, and that was really fun for us to do different projects. But um, in terms of next steps too, I think um, we may have like a little conference room bar here, and we may change out some of our older rooms um but um but yeah I, i'm i'm not 100 percent sure i think we we liked working with a larger partner that had um space and had um already visitors coming through i think not that escape rooms are um i don't know that they're saturated yet um but i think as a standalone attraction um in a market like Houston, um, where there's not maybe a whole lot of, I mean, I guess Houston has tourists, but not certainly as many as New Orleans. Um, it might be a little different or, or tricky and, and that's not something we're interested in. I think, um, we're interested in, in like big 
immersive, um, large-scale, um, well-designed and, and well-produced experiences. So, It's interesting to me that you, you've started here in with the escape rooms and you're starting to branch out into things like <clears throat> museum design because they're, they're firms you know, dedicated to doing that sort of stuff. And those firms are often really interested in the kinds of things that are happening in the escape room space. Like, do you, I mean, you, you, you've been working with this museum and, and they've got the zoo, but like, did you find yourself like bidding against like other companies or was this really like, Oh, they loved what you did. And like the, the inspiration kind of just carried on from there. Yeah. I think luckily they liked what we did and, and we were doing, we, we weren't doing the fabrication work. And so because we were doing some of the design work that didn't need to, um, to go out to bid where if it was fabrication work, it would need to be, um, I'm not sure how that works. I guess it depends on the budget and 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 everything. But um, but yeah, they really liked our work with the escape room, and they liked the interactivity of it. Um, and I think with an escape room, it is truly interactive. It's not um, you know, it's not a screen that somebody puts in an exhibit and ha- it's touch screen or maybe there are buttons under the screen that do something to it. Um, Maybe that is technically interactive, but it's not um, It's not what they're looking for. I think when you go to a museum, you don't want to be looking at a screen. It's the same thing in an escape room. You don't want to be looking at a screen. You want to be physically interacting with the space, and you want to be um, you know, interacting socially with the space as well because you're with a group of people. Um, you're not alone at your house. Um, and so... Um, taking those learnings from escape rooms um, and putting them in in zoos, aquariums, and museums felt very natural. And and building gameplay um, as well into the different exhibits. So at the Lions exhibit, there's a game where you get to track poachers um, that are in this world. There was a world created. Some of a lot of this work had been done also before we came on in their concepts, but um, they had created this world of this national park that the um, lions um, had were in and they had taken over this train station and so then when we were brought on um, we needed to do the scenic design for the train station and for these different zones and we thought it would be really interesting if we could create this game about tracking poachers and so um, that's what exists over there now and and uh, um, the physical manifestations of that are a radio which plays um, like we have game wardens reporting in different suspicious activity at different coordinates. There's a map on the wall of the ranger car which um, which shows you those coordinates and where they are. Then we had footprints put into the concrete, different animals and humans as well. And so they, um, you know, guests can go to that location, see the footprint, see human activity. Um, and then and figure out what animal and which person um, was actually poaching and then go to the the website kalindanationalpark.com i think and and then put in your um your answers for those poachers and report them and then you get you know it tells you if you did it right or not and so there's i think five or six different poachers and different animals and different locations that you can go Weaving, weaving a little story into the physical space, which kind of takes us to Saints Bone and what you've done here for Overlook. So, and this is something we talked about like on the video side. Like, what's so impressive about what you do is just the 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 level of detail down below and 
the way you're using all that to create a sense of space and place, dropping something into the French Quarter, uh, not far from Bourbon Street, um, like during the day or at night, like it's it's oozing space and place. So um, what's the attraction of, of running kind of an alternate reality experience game in the middle of one of the, the busiest places uh, in the United States? Yeah, so it um, it's certainly a challenge, but what's fun about it too is that at Escape My Room, we've um, we've created these environments that, as even though they may feel real, they're ultimately fake. Um, and so, by going out into a real world and into a, a real space, um, is just so much fun and so much uh, or or very like electrifying. And so, by being in the in the out in the outdoors of the French Quarter, um, having real people walking around you um, just adds that much more to the, the experience. And it's something we've always wanted to do, even from the very beginning, um, do some sort of like outdoor experience. And Overlook provided a really nice um, like um, reason and, and motivation for doing that. Well, it was a lot of fun and it was, it, it, it had these moments for me of like synchronicity of like, oh, I've already been here, but then like this, a little little layer of reality sort of like, you know, layered on, <laughs> layered on top or even sort of revealed since you've got some actual historical characters you're kind of playing with in, in the story. Yeah, no, and that's, that's super cool. And we're like, I'm super excited and glad to hear those, um, that, that happened to you and um, and we've getting been getting reports back of, of players and guests who've gone through and similar feelings and um, and even the feeling of like people who are local playing it um, but getting a new sense of the French Quarter after it and I think that's important too is to um, to have an experience that gives you a new um, outlook on on the environment and on the space. You've got Saintsbone running right now. You can extend it a little bit. You've got Escape Extinction, uh, which is just about to open. What are you? What are you excited about? Kind of looking forward down like six months, a year from now, like getting some rest, maybe. Or? Sure. Yeah. Um, I keep getting sick, so I think I do need to to take a little break. Um, but I I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think part of me wants to do something super small scale, um, just because. Um, Saintsbone, Saintsbone was a fairly, um, big, um, thing for us. There were maybe like, there was a director, a producer, um, a writer, and then five cast and me. And then, um, but before that too, Escape Extinction had, gosh, maybe almost like a hundred people involved in the creation of it, of like carpenters, scenic artists, designers, um, sound, sound, lighting, um, electricians, I don't know, everything, you name it. Um, and so doing something more small scale um, would be exciting. We're about to revamp our entrance into Escape My Room. So that'll be a tiny little project. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I want to create a um, something very small and, and maybe even ephemeral and, and just have it last a, a couple of weeks or something. And then um, beyond that, I'm not sure. I don't know. We um, we're always interested in in cool things and cool ideas. I think we may work with another zoo or museum at some point to um, 
to do something there, but that also depends on how well Escape Extinction does. And, um, and yeah, so I don't know, something small, but then I'm sure there'll be some big projects that come up um, as well. So I feel like maybe we're bearing a lead here. So a hundred people, two years of two plus years of development, like maybe, and this is maybe a good place to close since it's about to open. Like what the hell is escape extinction? It's got that much effort put into it. Like suddenly I went from like, Oh, they've got like escape room at, at an aquarium. And then you're saying like, it's a hundred people working on it in two years. And it's like, Whoa, this feels, what, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. So it's almost, um, it's probably at a similar scale of like all of our rooms here at escape my room combined in the sense that it's, um, it's about 2000 square feet, um, of space. It's more in the um, in the five width style of escape rooms, where you move from one room to the next after a certain amount of time, and um, and there is some agency given to players, but it may be more fake agency, where um, you know a minute a minute before you're supposed to leave the room, you're given an extra task that you do, and then once you do that, the door will open. But um, it's a it's called Escape Extinction Sharks, and it's you're going on a mission to save sharks from extinction. And that idea was presented by the aquarium itself, and, and we really took it on as well. But, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was just a big production. Um, they wanted something super um, professional, and we also wanted something super professional. And I think like once you kind of, um, I don't know, it's like once you're spending, you know, Two or three hundred thousand dollars on a construction budget, then spending another five thousand dollars on a lighting designer doesn't seem that much, you know. So it's like it's a weird, it's it's horrible how that creep kind of happens. But um, but then and then once you are putting that much money into it as well, then you want to make sure that like just the tech is super robust and that the um, you know everything in there just has to be built to such a um, a a hard level of quality um, too for guests coming through because this will be families and and lots of children, and so um, so yeah, it's just a a big production. There's about four different rooms you go through, and you're um, you're joining the human animal rescue team or heart to save sharks from extinction. And yeah, it should be should be really cool and and like I said before, opening um, sometime next week, limitedly. So, All right. Well, Andrew, thank you for spending the time with me today, doing the video interview with the Olivier and then walking back here to delay me see because um, I'm, I'm sad I don't have a team with me to come play any of the rooms because just walking through the lobby really, even that moment of just like talking on the phone at the start, just like, woof, that there's, there's, there's some magic you got going on here. Yeah, well, thanks so much, and hopefully you'll get back to New Orleans soon and have a team with you next time to check out our, our experiences here. Oh, I think that's a definite. Once again, want to thank our guests, Ava and Andrew, for being on the show today. You can check out Ava's work at avaleescott.com, and you can find Andrew's work at escapemyroom.com. Um, while we're on the topic of New Orleans, Nolens, 
Um, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Nostalgia Purgatory, uh, who uh, gave us a good rate on hanging out there. Uh, I've got an interview with Wynn in the can. Uh, they're in sort of a beta mode right now for their story room Airbnb. Uh, and they're also acting as a venue right now for Broken Bone Bathtub. Uh, our friend Siobhan O'Loughlin, of course, is doing her show there. And she's going to be in Houston in a few weeks uh, as she sort of moves through the American South and, um, from what I understand is going to wind up, uh, back in LA for a moment. I don't know if she's going to do any shows in LA, but she's going to, she's going to come visit us. Uh, and we're looking forward to that. Okay. Um, where, where, where are we mentally, mentally, I sort of, you might've been able to detect in the show. Uh, and I know I mentioned like the, the stuff with me madre. Um, but yeah, May was, was woof. And I was, I was in a depression there for a while. Um, and it's only been this past week. I mean, I knew it, uh, but it's just been this past week that I've been willing to say it, um, because there's something to, uh, there's a kind of power to not saying it. And then there's a power to saying it. So yeah, um, I was in a, a, a space. Also, I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to like go like, yeah, guys, I'm depressed. Um, cause I didn't want like a bunch of like, Oh, feel better messages. Cause those don't help actually. Uh, at least not the way I'm wired. Uh, much better to be like, Oh, yay, you're back. Uh, and I'm back. I was, uh, editing something today and like, I almost pity the person, people I were editing. Cause it was like three paragraph block of like, okay, here we go. Um, and so that kind of, you know, the feistiness, the snarkiness, um, the, the, the sort of there's a, there's a kind of cynicism mixed with optimism that defines who I am. Uh, that's, that's the edge that I stay at, uh, when I'm at my best, uh, too much of one thing or the other is, is, is no good for anybody less useful and definitely less useful for me. Um, and there were definitely beautiful moments in the past few weeks, some, some truly gorgeous moments. Uh, so it's not like I lost all taste for joy, but, uh, for a minute there, and you know, it's not exactly easy to find external sources for joy right now. Um, you know, it's a, it's a dark time for the Republic. Um, we won't, we won't go there, but you know, it's definitely not easy. And sometimes it's not easy to stay focused on this work, uh, when you see, just how off the rails the whole society is. But as we often talk about on the show, um, there's, there's some real deep down inside value about what this work does and is and means and what it can be, um, as a, as a tool for expression. Um, and there's some, there's some, there's some big ideas, uh, that we're starting to, uh, kind of wrangle with again. Um, I took on a couple of them, uh, that I'm kind of working on. I did that in the irregular this past week. Uh, so, um, if you want to check that out, that is behind a Patreon cut and you're like, well, you're hitting us up. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Uh, Hey, at least I'm doing the irregular again. Um, and sort of talking about, um, one, one of the, the things is, um, what did I talk about in that one? Because uh, there's a lot. There's even more that have been coming along right now. There's uh, one idea I, I've been messing around with is um, just sort of like what what do we do when it comes to um, extending the audience, finding more members of the audience, um, and bringing the good word about immersive to more folks, and sort of looking at the way 
uh, spectators and passive audience of things like video games in the form of like the streaming community, what that does, or and not just video games, like tabletop games and how there's been a renaissance around there. So, that, that, so I'm starting to play around with those ideas and, and just, you know, sort of think out loud. So the irregular is going to be a little bit more thinking out loud. I'll still do that here sometimes, particularly once I've managed to like refine the ideas a little bit more. Um, but if you want the beta, the alpha versions of this noggin, uh, that's a good place to get it. Um, and then there's just some other concepts. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, and this might've been in the irregular. I'm actually going to look at what was in the irregular this week. Um, there's some other concepts, a phrase that's been coming, uh, to mind a lot lately is, um, transcending the transactional. Um, and that's something that definitely happened in Ava's piece. Um, uh, or there's nothing really transactional about Ava's piece, actually. So it's kind of kind of wrong to talk about um, this exact concept in relation to what Ava was doing. Um, her her whole thing is really um, r- really just transcendent. But you know, I, I've gone to some stuff of late where the, kind of the 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 root of it is um, um, whoa. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I was looking at, looking at the post on, on the Patreon because I was like, yeah, I did talk about this, about sort of like the, the response. Emerson's kind of this response to the transactional nature of our society. Unfortunately, I misspelled response. So I'm just going to edit that real fast. Um, we need just real-time, real-time editing, just making sure that that happens there. Um, even when the event is a marketing activation, um, I kind of feel like, it's got to transcend the transactional. Otherwise, at least at least reach for that. You know, maybe maybe it won't. But that impetus to to raise above um, the transactional nature of our society is the the ultimate reason to enter. Um, and look, you can find this. Like this this isn't that transcendence. Like this is not. You know, I'm not talking about uh, just uh, you know. The, the light side, right? Like there's left-hand path ways here too. Um, there's, there's ways in which, you know, the horror stuff uh, and the extreme haunt stuff can definitely uh, get people into that headspace of transcending. Uh, it's a, it's a different mode. In fact, I would almost say like, you know, the, the, the trickier thing, the harder thing, the thing that people haven't cracked as, as readily uh, is how, how do you do that outside of those contexts, right? You know, how do you create moments of ecstasis, ecstasy, um, that uh, don't necessarily rely upon the, the fear tool book, um, tool book, toolbox, rule book. You know what I'm trying to say? What I'm trying to say is I probably need lunch. So, um, da, 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 all I had was toast today. Um, there's a lot more to come. Um, there's at least one big project, uh, writing project I need to draw down uh, to get things moving forward. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff uh, in the works in terms of, you know, I know people are already wondering, like, well, what's, what's, you know, when's the next IDS? And, like, there's, there's a bunch of news on that front, uh, you know, within the next four or five weeks that we'll be starting to crank through. Um, and there's other pieces of the puzzle that are starting to come into play. This shift into full-time freelance uh, has been a lot rockier because of things that had nothing to do with our world. 
Um, but the potential here is so great and so incredible. And I am just very thankful about how many of you are along for the ride. So, uh, with that in mind, uh, let's keep it together. Uh, let's keep the phone lines open. Uh, if there's topics, uh, you know, we, we tend to do a lot of stuff, uh, where we're talking to people about their shows. If there are topics, big idea topics that you want us to tackle, let us know. We can prioritize those. We're definitely going to get the team together more often, but there's some things I'd love to revisit. So if there's some stuff you want, please, Noah at nopersinium.com or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter uh, at nopersinium in both of those places. I'm at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter if you want to holler at me. Uh, the DMs are not open, but you can holler at me in my mentions. Um, you know, and if you want to talk with Star Wars, just come on, come on, come on down. All right. And, and how grateful am I for Galaxy's Edge for putting Star Wars in our wheelhouse? I mean, woof, just super grateful. Uh, all right. Uh, that's enough for now. I'm a little too stream of consciousness, even for myself at the moment. I do need to ground myself with lunch. So uh, let's do the things we do. Oh, yeah. I forgot to do uh, the part at the beginning of the show where I say who the sustaining backers are. Oops. Sorry, guys. Um, don't worry. And a new one will be joining us at the top of the month as well. Uh, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Bubman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurstan, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. And again, you can find us at nopersinium.com, at nopersinium on Facebook and Twitter, at no underscore persinium on the Instagram, where there's always uh, almost all the time, like takeovers from cool companies, uh, who are doing the work and patreon.com slash no is how you get us to that next level where the world just opens up and we change everything in a heartbeat. Okay. That's probably the, the sugar crash talking. I'm Noah Nelson until next time. I'll see you at the show.